It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Peter Cazola, founder and CEO of PMC Advisors. PMC Advisors was founded by Peter after 21 years as Chairman, President, and CEO of Capital Insurance Group, a leading West Coast-based property and casualty insurance company, and longtime client of ROI Executive Search. After over 40 years' experience in various leadership positions in the insurance industry, Peter decided to share his knowledge and experience with company boards and C-suite executives. He is passionate about entrepreneurialism and helping businesses achieve their full potential. Peter is a graduate of the University of Miami and began his career as an officer in the United States Air Force prior to entering the insurance industry. He currently resides in Las Vegas with his wife, Kathy, and has two daughters and three grandchildren. Peter Cazola, welcome into the corner office. Thank you, Brant. It's nice to be with you. Ah, great to be with you again. And gosh, we've had such a ongoing long-term friendship and, and colleagueship. It's just wonderful to welcome you here. And we, uh, you know, basically found our way through the technical difficulties and and took the spur of the moment and uh, very excited about talking about your background today. But let's start with, you know, kind of the, you know, topic of the moment. The pandemic, of course, has been on us a little over a year. And, uh, you know, I know that you uh, obviously have been staying healthy and well, you and Kathy. How have you been doing and how has your close family been, you know, kind of sorting through this and missing the grand the grandchildren a bit, I imagine? Yeah, it's kind of been interesting because just like you read about every day and hear about, everybody's dealing with it differently. That's right. That's right. It's, it's absolutely amazing. There, there's no consensus on the, the pandemic itself, the medical issues, the science. It's, it's hard to really bring it all together to come up with any real uh, long-term, at this point anyway, solution yeah, to this yeah, thing. That's right. You know, we talk about the new normal or returning to normal, and I, I don't think we're going to get there. I think it's going to be a different situation. You know, I, I kind of liken it to what happened after, you know, the 9-11 and how that changed air travel together. And I think, you know, we're going to have a, a lot of new principles coming up. But the good news is you're staying well and, and yeah. those around you as well. Yes, they are. Uh, you know, we have family in New York. Uh, they're dealing mm -hmm. with different circumstances there regarding uh, the government's uh, approach to controlling the pandemic. And right, right. here in Nevada, we're not quite as uh, restrictive as New York. And as you've all read, uh, we have uh, friends in Florida that are 
been living a decent life with uh, very little control. So uh, at the end of the day, I mean, uh, everybody's doing fine under the circumstances. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. Well, let's dive in. And we always like to talk a little bit about the early years. You know, tell us a little bit about where you grew up and and what your early family life was like. And I believe Yonkers was originally home, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Good memory, Brent. (laughs) I, uh, yeah, grew up in Yonkers, New York. I remember I lived in basically downtown Yonkers, uh, 47 Linden Street. Okay. Great. uh, What what did mom and dad do? Well, my mom was a a mother. I mean, she was a a, a homemaker and she stayed home and took care of the family. And my father was, uh, worked in the construction business and Mm. uh, he uh, was what they call a heavy equipment operator. Yeah. And uh, actually, he was very uh, active and involved in the building of a number of uh, structures today, both skyscrapers, the Lincoln Tunnel, the Holland Tunnel, the Washington Bridge. No kidding. Yeah, he had a hand in all of that. Now, was he, did he own his own company? Was he a blue collar laborer? Was he white collar management? What was his? He was uh, a blue collar union worker. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Very Very strong union man. I can imagine. Brothers and sisters? Yes, I have one brother who lives in uh, South Carolina now. He uh-huh. lived in Florida. And I have a sister who lives in Hyde Park, New York, you know, Franklin mm. Delano Roosevelt's uh, birthplace. All right, right. And, and uh, that's did, it. Did, did mom and dad have a, a passion for you guys to go on and get, you know, upper education? I know we'll, we'll talk about your, you know, schooling a little bit later on. But uh, was that something that was uh, inspired by them or was it something, was it a path that you choose a little later on in life? Yeah, no, I think it, it's kind of interesting uh, being the, the first and the oldest. Yeah. Uh, my father really wanted me to go to college, mm. and uh, he was totally focused on that and kept reminding me that that's what I should be thinking of as I got to that point in uh, my, uh, time in my life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My sister and brother, he pretty much uh, let them uh, be a little more freelance than, mm. in the direction they wanted to go in, which was kind of interesting. Right. Uh, So at the end of the day, he would not ever let me, uh, as I got old enough, when I got into my teenage years, he wouldn't let me work on any construction site. Really? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Didn't want you to touch the business. The reason he didn't want me in there is at the time and even today, I mean, they get paid very high wages. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, I I could make a lot of money digging ditches. (laughs) And he just didn't want me to get enamored by the money at a young age and wind up digging ditches the rest of my life. Wow. Wow. What other kinds of things did he influence you on in those early days that you recall? I think he influenced me on uh, ethics, uh, always making sure you you do what you say and say what you do. Yep. And uh, he also taught me, he was very good with his hands mechanically. Hmm. And he could repair a watch on up to a crane. <laughs> I mean, the guy was absolutely amazing. I mean, he would spend weekends and he was very um, uh, gracious to people and helping them out. And mm. He would spend weekends uh, f- uh, d- uh, doing repairs on the family, uh, my aunt's, uncle's, cousin's cars, wow. <laughs> as wow. well as his own. And yeah. uh, he showed me how to... And I, I had to be his apprentice every time he had the deal. I had to be there with him uh, to hand him the tools and he'd explain <laughs> to me what's going on, you know. Yeah, so it was, 
He, he really uh, influenced me, I think, from a more detailed perspective and mm-hmm. a, a actually a creative perspective because he was very creative as well. Yeah. What about your mother? Obviously very nurturing, bringing up three kids. Yeah, and, you know, she was, she was a mother. I mean, it's kind of interesting when in her earlier years before uh, she and my father got married, uh, she actually was a singer in the uh, early minstrels. No, oh. uh, in the New York area, and basically, wow. basically, a minstrel was a uh, like an amateur show they put together, right? Right, and uh, they would get people that could sing and dance and play music and everything else, and so that's how my father met her at one oh, of the no minstrels. Kidding. Oh, was yeah. it a volunteer uh, job or was she? A, is it a paid? Uh, you know, position? I can't. I don't know that. I, yeah. I can't answer that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But but he met her performing. That's great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then they got <laughs> married, and uh, then. Uh, and that would have been pre pre warriors, I'd imagine, right? Or yeah, during the war. it was. It was yeah. probably like in the thirties. Yeah, yeah, mid thirties. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So, did all your undergrad undergraduate? Did your elementary school and secondary school in Yonkers? Were you a good student? You know, I was a good student. Uh, I had uh, every now and then, probably, I had a uh, a lapse of concentration, but. <laughs> My father always brought me uh, back to task. Uh, <laughs> if he saw me get, he he made sure I stayed on track. But uh, yeah, you know, I, it, overall, I was I enjoyed learning. Uh, I was a good student. I wasn't an outstanding student, uh, but uh, I I worked hard at it. You know, I, yeah. I, I I focused, concentrated, and I always had a an understanding or a need for making sure things were practical for me. Right. That right. what I did was going to help me in some way or pay dividends. Yeah. What about other activities? I, I know from our past conversations and working relationships that basketball has a special place in your heart, but did you play sports and were there certain sports that you enjoyed uh, growing up? Oh yeah. Well, starting out, uh, I, I love sports. I mean, I played sports. I also was a musician. Oh, really? What, what, yeah, what um, I, I, instruments? I, I, like a good, uh, good Italian boy, I played the accordion. <laughs> I played the accordion. I love it. I love <laughs> it. Did you ever get your mom to sing when you played? Oh, yeah. We used to have jam fests <laughs> with the family. Oh, that's great. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sundays, uh, we'd go at my grandfather's and grandmother's, and my, I had an uncle who played the drums. Another uncle played the clarinets. Wow. Uh, oh, yeah. But you had I mean, a regular we, ensemble. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. What about entrepreneurial activities? Did you pursue any while you were a kid? Yeah, yeah you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, as I got older, I would probably say in my uh, early teens, uh, that there used to be uh, the uh, these advertisements would come out where you could make money for yourself by- Jingles. Chris- Jingles, right? <laughs> well, selling cards, Chris, Christmas cards. Ah, right, right. So, yeah, selling uh, different types of things. So I would apply to those things. Right. And uh, then I would get the, the, the uh, package of goods in the mail, and then I'd go around selling them and get commitments. you do it door-to-door, and, right? Cold, yeah. Cold calling on, uh, yeah. on all the neighbors, right? Yeah, and I then I was it. also a full of brush salesman at one point. No kidding. Oh, my gosh. Was that during your college years or a little bit older? When did you yeah, do the full it was, of brush uh, stuff? Yeah, it was uh, probably in uh, maybe the oh, late, late teen years. Right. Just right. to make a few extra bucks, yeah. 
I love it. I love it. Now, uh, tell us about your college years. You know, obviously you got a lot of uh, divine and parental influence towards doing that. Where did you decide to go and why? Okay. Well, I went to the University of Miami. All right. And uh, the reason for that really was uh, because we really couldn't afford all that much money to send me to college. And my parents were uh, going to uh, and were planning to move to Florida. To oh, the Fort Lauderdale, wow. Miami area. Okay. And when I was when I, I I applied to several of the Florida schools, Florida State University of Florida, Miami, and when they said, "Okay, we're we're probably going to go to the Fort Lauderdale, Miami area," I said, "Okay, well then I will uh, apply. Well, I will go to the University of Miami." They accepted yeah. me, and that's how I wound up at the University of Miami because that's great. it was probably more uh, economically driven. Sure. And uh, as it turns out, my parents never moved down there. Oh, is that right? So they didn't move down. Huh. Yeah. So it did wow. make it a little harder on us. Yeah. Uh, financially. Out of state tuition, right? Yeah. Well, it was a private school. Oh, it was a private school. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, but we got through it. You know, I got my student loans that everybody today is wishing the government would pay them off. I don't know where their responsibilities lie. <laughs> but, you know, it's uh, so we got through it. You know, with my loans and my dad helping me out, and I graduated. And what uh, was your field of study? I studied uh, management and minored in labor uh, in economics. Right, right. Yeah. Now, yeah. now I know that you obviously spent a good deal of time in the insurance industry. In fact, you and I worked together for about, I think, 12 of the 20 odd years you were at CIG, or at least right. the last 10 or so. But did you go right into the insurance business out of school? No, uh, needless to say, when I graduated, it was the height of the Vietnam War. Oh, of course, yeah. And uh, so uh, I decided that, you know, I'm going to have my degree. And I said, if if I was going to get drafted because I was a healthy male and uh, I didn't mind serving. So I said, well, why don't I just, going back to my practical nature of things, I said, well, why don't I do something where I can get the benefit of my education, my degree? sure. Yeah. So I applied to you'll you'll get a kick out of this. I applied to the Peace Corps. All right. The uh the uh the Navy and the Air Force. Okay. So uh and they were all on campus uh before I graduated my senior year and took the exams and the tests and I got accepted to go to the Navy fl- uh, aviation school. Uh, Air Force, I didn't get accepted for aviation school and I got accepted to the Peace Corps (laughs) and I remember, I still remember, I wish I kept it, but I still remember the letter I got from, uh, Sergeant Shriver. That's right. Yeah. Well, yeah. He was the head of the Peace Corps. That's right. And he he welcomed me to the Peace Corps and said, your, your, where your assignment will be Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> wow. So it came down to between the Navy and Ethiopia. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, it, the, the military in Ethiopia. Right. Yeah. Actually, one of my fraternity brothers actually went, he, he applied too, and he was going, he went to Addis Ababa and he actually went to the Peace Corps. I, I decided to go into the Air Force. Right. Oh, into the Air Force. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Got so it. I, I spent uh, four and a half years, uh, one half a year for training. Right. And what they call 90 day wonder school. I became a second lieutenant after 90 days of military training and academics and uh, physical training uh, in uh, San Antonio, Texas. 
Right, right. Blackburn and then Air Force Base. Did, did they ship you over to Southeast Asia or were you all you know, U.S.? I, no, my first assignment was stateside. Uh, I yeah. was in uh, Strategic Air Command. I got assigned to Strategic Air oh, Command. Right. And uh, I wound up at Westover Air Force Base in Massachusetts. Okay. Yeah. And and did you serve out your term uh, the all four years there or, or did you no, actually get uh, in? No, actually, uh, I was in the... Uh, I was in the what they call the services and support area. Okay. So uh, I was, and, and again, the reason the reason for that is I had a business degree. That's right. And, yeah. And, and so since I was in aviation, they they the Air Force is pretty sharp. I'm sure they're just as sharp, if not sharper, today in terms of how they assign people, and I'm sure the other branches are the same today. But uh, first of all, you had to have a degree to be an officer in the Air Force. Right. And and then. Uh, uh, they wound up assigning me in this uh, administrative business area that dealt with all the base housing and the food service facilities. Mm. And yeah, it was pretty interesting, actually. It was a lot of fun. And then I eventually, uh, part of that was the uh, officers clubs. And right. I wound up becoming an officers club manager. Nice. So was so, that the first time you started managing people then? Uh, or did you have that oh, previously? Oh, I could tell you the first time. Yeah. Before I started, uh, before I got into the club management aspect of it, I was a second lieutenant. My first assignment, I was a uh, officer in charge of all of the dining facilities on Westover Air Force Base. Wow! wow. I had six uh, Super Striper NCOs working for me. <laughs> okay, if you added six of those guys up, experience-wise, they probably had a hundred, at least one hundred and twenty years experience. Right. Right. right? There wow. I, I call my first staff meeting. <laughs> I go in there. I was all night. I was up trying to figure out what I'm going to say to these guys. <laughs> <laughs> and you're 20 something, right? Oh yeah. 20, I'm 22. 22. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> you know, they call it. us shave tails, you know? Yeah. 90, 90 day wonders. I go in there and I said, I figured the best tact was to be honest and straightforward. I said, look, I said, you guys have over 120 years experience. Mm. You know what you're doing. I said, the two things uh, I'm going to require of you is number one, keep me out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and number two, don't get yourself in trouble and cause me to have to make decisions I don't want to make. Mm. Hmm. And, and that was How, basically it. Yeah. How was I, that received? Oh, they loved it. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. They love it. It had a good rapport with them. I really did. That's great. Yeah. And then did you take the GI Bill then coming out of school or you actually already had your undergrad? So Well, I had my undergrad, yeah. but yeah, I did. Uh, I pursued my master's degree. Yeah, right. Uh, I took several courses uh, while I was in Massachusetts and then at Western New England College. And then uh, when, we, uh, when I got out of the service and we moved to California, I, I completed actually all of the academic and coursework for my MBA at Pepperdine University. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. And uh, the only uh, thing, uh, decision I made, which probably didn't pan out, was I, I took the course where I wanted, uh, had to write a paper, a project paper. Right. And at that point in time, I got transferred to uh, Tampa, Florida. Okay. I was with Metropolitan Life at the time. Yeah. And never completed the paper. So I never really <laughs> got my official degree. Okay. All right. Yeah. But well, I, you, did, but, I did get all the training. <laughs> right. Right. But you started in the insurance business. So tell yeah. us a little bit about how you chose that field. 
Well, that was pretty interesting because uh, when I got out, being in the uh, food and dining area, you know, hospitality, right. yeah. uh, I started with, a, I actually started with the old General Foods Corporation. Oh, got it. Mm -hmm. When I got out of the service and I was selling yeah. Maxwell House coffee. Right. And uh, then from uh, there, uh, I didn't enjoy that as much because the transition for me was here I was managing all these people. Right. And running my own operation and entrepreneuring. And now I'm just selling coffee. You know, and it was, <laughs> a bit of a letdown, huh? I, well, the point is, as you could imagine, I did an outstanding job. I mean, you know, it, I, I always feel that that's necessary. Of course. And, uh, but I just felt I needed more. I wanted more. And uh, one day I, I was just looking in the paper for, uh, in ad, uh, one ad advertising, and there was uh, this solicitation for, Ex uh, off military officers mm, for hmm. manager and supervisory positions. Right. Well, that piqued my interest. So uh, I my my in laws lived in New Rochelle, New York. So okay. and at the time we lived in Long Island. After we uh, transfer uh, discharged from the service, we wound up in Long Island. Right. And so we drove up for a weekend early, and then I went out and met with this uh, recruiter, and. Uh, I talked to him. I got. I went in there like on a two o'clock on an afternoon. We talked for a while. Huh. Uh, he liked me a lot, and he said, "Do you have time to meet with one of the companies that's looking for to fill a position for a supervisor or manager?" I said, "Sure." Wow! Wow! That that day, he sends me over to Allstate Insurance Company. Wow! Oh. Which was uh, right there. They had a regional office there. Yep. And uh, I went over to the regional office. And when I walked into that place, Brant, it was like home because they had mm. the great, they had the gray asphalt tiles all spit and polished on, and, <laughs> and they had, they had rows of gray desks. <laughs> right. Just looked like the military. Yeah, right? I thought, I said, boy, it feels like home, doesn't it? You know? <laughs> and did you start in sales or what was the discipline? Well, it's that kind of interesting. In? They had two positions uh, after they interviewed me. They had two positions. They had a operations supervisor. Okay. which dealt with dealing with the processing of policies and issuing of policies mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and uh, a staff associated with that a, a, a unit. And then they had this one other area, which was called uh, the controller's area, controller's right. department. Hmm. And uh, when I talked to the controller, what I liked about that was in that department, even though I started as an analyst, the, the department itself and the controller was involved in all the aspects of the insurance business. Mm, yeah. So we dealt with all the actuarial statistics. Uh, we dealt with all the production statistics, all the lost st uh, statistics, and just the general uh, management and uh, uh, of all of the numbers and helping the senior uh, staff there, the regional management team, help them with uh, information. Right. To run their operations. Yeah. And uh, so it, it was really. Uh, that's the one you chose. That's the one I chose. Yeah. Yeah. Great, great expo exposure to general management, right? In all oh, aspects my, of the exactly. insurance industry. Exactly. Well, yeah. You know, I yeah. was always, you know, fortunately, I made good decisions. Not, not all the time, but most of the time I made, I don't know why, I'll be quite frank with you, but I made good decisions because, <laughs> you know, they just felt good and good fits for me, you know? Yeah. Now, you were with Allstate for how many years? I was with them for three years okay. and uh, got promoted. Uh, I was in uh, the Harrison Regional Office 
uh, initially, and I uh, was there for one year actually. And uh, they promoted me once while I was there after six months. And the the other thing was this was during the Nixon era, so we we had all these restrictions on how much right. money you can get and promotions and all of that. And then after one year, I got promoted to the zone office. So they had a zone office now, which had six regional offices under them. Wow. And I got promoted as a uh, controller's assistant in the regional office. Wow. And actually, the gentleman that uh, hired me there, a guy by the name of Bob Snyder, actually was my mentor in the business from that point forward and was very instrumental in me uh, making progress along the way in my career. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. um, that wasn't your last stint in insurance. No, yeah. So then I went on to metropolitan was starting up their property and casualty right. operation and a couple of guys at all state, uh, went over to metropolitan and sure. then they knew of me, called me up and said, Hey, we'd like you to come over and work in our, you know, financial department. Yeah. And so, uh, I thought about it. The money was great. And I, I I'll be honest with you then, Although career was great, right now it was just a means to an end. I needed money. <laughs> yeah, of course. So yeah. I just, every time there was an opportunity, you know, I, 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 I took it if it made sense. And in this case, it did. They were up in Rhode Island. We moved to Rhode Island, uh, worked in their home office in Rhode Island, Warwick, Rhode Island, for about mm. a year. And uh, they were opening up a regional office in Southern California, Metropolitan mm. was. Right. And so my, my boss comes in to me and says, uh, the controller of the company would like, uh, you to consider moving to, uh, uh, the regional office in, uh, Southern California and be the controller there. Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, after a year at Met, I got promoted. Kathy and I moved, that was 76 and we moved to California mm. and we've been in the West ever since. Ever since. Wow, yeah. That's great. And then how many years at Metropolitan before you moved on? Oh, about five. Yeah. 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 About five. And then, uh, I got out and a good friend of mine who also worked with Metropolitan decided that he was on the sales end. He got out, got into a, uh, property and casualty agency in, uh, Anaheim, California. He came to me and said, you know, we need somebody like you. Would you be interested in working <laughs> for us? Yeah. And you know how that goes. And so, yeah, that's right. Yeah. My, my early career, you know, I made a few moves, uh, but they were, they were all very good from a standpoint of added responsibility and of course, more money. Yeah. And, uh, and working with people, you knew, you know, and working you know, with people, oh yeah. You know, I mean, people ask me all the time about how do you get the best job? And I said, well, you, you get the best job by making relationships, you know, you se- 70% of all hires are still through networking. Yes, they and, are. And, you know, rarely, uh, you know, do I get a search that hasn't been, you know, networked, it hasn't been advertised, it's gone through, you know, all those various uh, and sundry locations. But it's, uh, you know, it's an important part to build those relationships. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I agree. So ha- what brought you to CIG? Where were you before you actually took on the Well, the uh, for, when I, I was with a small regional insurance company. Oh, well, t- the way, the, re- the way I got to that small regional insurance company, the gentleman uh, who was my boss at Allstate that moved me to New Jersey to, for the right. zone controller's assistant, yeah. he left Allstate. And then he went on and became uh, the president and CEO of a, an Amundsen insurance company, the old Amundsen company uh, in uh, Southern California. Uh-huh. So uh, at one point out there, uh, 
I had, uh, before I got reconnected with him, I was involved in an entrepreneurial venture where we set up our own uh, independent agency and insurance oh. company. Right. And so we were, that's, that's part of my entrepreneurial experiences. Yeah, I, I call that my Harvard MBA. <laughs> that was the MBA you earned, right? That's the MBA I earned, <laughs> and I earned it in a big way because it cost us like sixty thousand dollars or something. Oh, you know, for yeah. because we all made an investment in the operation. Yeah, but in any event, it, it didn't work out the way we expected. But fortunately, uh, my mentor from Allstate, Bob, just took a job uh, with Amundsen Companies in. Southern California, and we were put together by this other mutual friend who was a reinsurance broker that I got to know while I was working uh, the entrepreneurial uh, operation. Mm. And uh, he said, I, I asked, I said, because he was from Allstate too, and I said, hey, whatever, you know where Bob Snyder is? And he says, oh yeah, he runs this company up in Long Beach, <laughs> California. I said, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> so uh, he, gives, he uh, gives me his phone number because he was doing business with him. I call him. And he was so happy to hear from me because mm. we hadn't connected in a while. Right. And uh, he came down uh, and we met, we had uh, lunch at Laguna Beach at the Surf and Sand Hotel. I'll never forget that. <laughs> and uh, after all was said and done, we were, we were so happy to see each other again and reminiscing and everything. And he says, you know, he says, I, I think I can use you up in my operation. He says, let me get back. And he says, I'll let you know. Mm. So he goes back there and uh, he calls me the next day and he says, I'd like you to come up and I'd like you to be a senior vice president in charge of all of the financial operations and uh, compliance. Wow. And uh, so uh, I went up there, met with him, took the job. And uh, that was really my f uh, first big organizational yeah, job. I took. Yeah, C-suite organizational job. Huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, that didn't work out. In six mm. months, uh, Amundsen decides that the, Amundsen is a very big savings and loan, home savings and loan. I don't know if you ever heard of them. Mm. But anyway, they decided to get out of the property and casualty business. Uh -huh. So one day, the senior staff comes down and uh, they, uh, they announce that they're going to be closing down the operation. Wow. So in any event... Six months later, you know, I got out. Of, I had six months of severance, and so I had to look for a job. Uh, and uh, eventually, uh, wound up where uh, Bob, my, my my mentor who I worked for at Amundsen, he gets a job with uh, Northwestern National Insurance Company, and it's the old Armco Insurance Group. Mm -hmm. And uh, he calls me up and he says, I'd like you to come work for me. <laughs> and he wanted me to be his executive vice president. Back in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, oh. and uh, yeah, exactly. That's what my wife. That's what my wife said. <laughs> yeah, Kathy had gotten used to the West Coast by then, right? Oh yeah, I mean, and, you don't miss those winters. <laughs> oh, and I was so excited about working with him firsthand yeah. again, you know. And uh, she said, "No, we're not going. I don't want to go there." And I so I told Bob, Bob was so bummed. Yeah, and uh, he said, "Well, I, well, I am really disappointed." I said, "I understand." And uh, so, but lo and behold, interestingly enough, uh, the the Amundsen, uh, the uh, Armco Insurance Group Northwestern owned a small insurance company in Southern California called Pacific mm. National Insurance Company. Right, right. And the CEO there was retiring in two years. Mm. So Bob calls me. I'll never forget this phone call. You'd love Bob if you ever met him. 
He goes, I'm going to give you one more chance. (laughs) (laughs) And he tells me the story. The guy's going to retiring. He says, I want you to go in there, take over half the company, and then I'll make you the uh, president. Wow. And I said, you're in. I'm in. Yeah. So I took that job. So I wound up at Pacific National for about eight years. Mm. And that leads into your question. How did I wind up at uh, CIG? Right. Well, uh, this was right around 19, uh, let's see, I want to say 1992 and about the summer of 92 and a reinsurance broker that I was doing business with at Pacific National visited one day for a marketing meeting. And he said, by the way, he said, I know of an insurance company in California, a small regional that's uh, run by the Ross Perot of the West Coast, Mm. he tells me. (laughs) And he says, I just met with him. And he's looking for a president and CEO. Wow. And uh, he said, would you mind if I gave him your name? And I said, no, you could give him my name if you want. That's fine. I appreciate that. So, uh, you know, I didn't think anything of it. Right. So, uh, you know, so this was like in August sometime. And I never heard a thing. Mm. Right. As some of those things go, as you know. Right. Right. And in December of 92 i get a phone call my wife answers the phone it was bill moore who was the owner mm. and uh owner of the uh, capital insurance group and kelly right. moore paint and Kelly moore paints yeah. yeah exactly yeah. yeah and uh kathy uh, uh, kathy tells the story she answered the phone and uh bill said to her you know i'm i'm bill moore and i'm with cap capital insurance group and kathy said to him uh, my husband's in insurance. We have plenty of insurance, and we don't, and we don't need any. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it! That's fantastic. He, that must have given him a giggle. Yeah, uh-huh. he, yeah, he did. He said, "Oh no, no." He said, "I want to talk to him about a job." <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait a minute. I'll go see if he's not busy. Oh my god! Yeah, oh, can you imagine great. that? Well, so, and that's that's how it all began. That's and, how it uh, all began. So yeah. I met with him, and we hit it off really well. And yeah. He invited me up. Uh, uh, I sent him my resume. He invited me up after the uh, first of the year in January to. And these, and just for the audience that are listening, that's in the days when you mailed a resume somewhere. Oh, oh right? yeah. You know? Oh, I didn't, I didn't even. <laughs> there was have no a email or fax machines, right? <laughs> Brent, I didn't have one. No kidding. Yeah, I, I had to, I had to construct a resume on my yeah. Apple II. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I love it. And then I, I mailed it. it up to him. So that's in fantastic. Any, in any event, he got it. He he liked what he saw. And then when I visited with him in January, uh, the last visit I made, I, I met him at CIG to begin with. And then he wanted me to go up and meet with his officers at the paint company to have yeah. the, to get their input from them. And I met with them. And that the, the end of that day, uh, the CEO of the paint company at the time, Joe Cristiano, took me back to Bill's office. Uh, he said, Oh, great. He says, uh, give me about 20 minutes. So he took it. He took his 20 <laughs> minutes and went to ask them all what they thought of me. Yeah. And he yeah. came back and he says, okay, he says, I want you to be the present CEO of my insurance company. <laughs> wow. Fantastic. Just like oh, that. That's great. And yeah. he spent over 21 years there and we yeah. actually met for the audience that's listening in about the last eight or nine years, I think. And before he retired and we right. put a number of, number of folks into the organization and just tell us a little bit about kind of how your leadership evolved, you know, from those days of managing all those, uh, you know, the 120 years of, of, ex, you know, experience of those, those officers. <laughs> to to your you know time at CNG I, you know if, if you had to reflect back and say 
you know, from a leadership style standpoint? What what changed and what remained the same? Well, I think what uh, what was the highlight, and actually, I think the the common denominator for me was uh, I was very people oriented. I like people, right. and I got along well with people. Yeah, and uh, I respected them, but yet. I was also, when I was in leadership positions, I was also a person that would hold them very accountable and had high expectations of what our performance should be, start, right. starting with me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. so just in general terms, that was kind of the common denominator. Uh, and then as I learned more through taking additional uh, educational co- uh, courses in uh, leadership, particularly, uh, really learn to understand uh, what the key characteristics of a strong leader are, and mm. uh, we actually embrace those at CIG. Uh, do you do you rec- do you know of Kuzner and Posner? Uh huh. Right. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we followed their program. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and we, you know, I know I could remember my team, and you, you know some of them. Sure. Uh, my team uh, said, well, we should just bring in a professional from Kuzner and Parsner. I said, no. I said, if we bring in a professional and they teach us, we're not going to learn as much as if we yeah. teach it ourselves. Yeah. And yeah. so basically we embraced the program and myself, Tom Scherf, Bob Wynn, uh, we all uh, taught the program ourselves. Right. And right. taught it to the Fantastic. management team and embraced yeah. it. And that was kind of our leadership uh, mantra there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they have some very key principles like leading with your heart and, right. uh, you know, motivating people and it, pretty, pretty cool stuff, actually. Well, you know, you took over from Bill and, and for those that don't know, Bill Moore was the founder of Kelly Moore Paints, one of the mm-hmm. co-founders, but took over the company very early on. But he was never an insurance guy. In right. fact, as I heard the story, as I think you recalled it to me, he actually sat on the board and the company was having some issues. And I think one day he wrote a check and found himself owning it, right? Uh, thinking he could run it himself for a few years and quickly deciding that wasn't the case before he, I think, went through maybe one or two CEOs before Correct. he found you. Yeah. But you know, you did an amazing job. I know that company went from, was it around a hundred million to about 400 million in, in assets during that time? Did I get the numbers right? Well, I, yeah, we, uh, in the... It, a good measurement for property and casualty companies is uh, surplus, surplus and, yeah. and sales. Right, right, right. And when I started, the sales were right around a hundred thousand in premium, hundred million in premium. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the equity was right around sixty million. And when I retired, our sales were four hundred and twenty-five million. Fantastic. And the equity was three hundred and twenty million. Yeah. Yeah, so we fantastic. had a we had a good run. Had a good run. <laughs> really, good twenty I, odd years. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of like Bill Belichick. You know, you just <laughs> now did you have to kind of reinvent the culture there, Peter? And oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Therefore, yeah, Absol- yeah, because yeah, from the very beginning, yeah. When I was first... it was it broken when you came in, or it just was kind of chugging along and not really going anywhere? I don't. I, I don't say it was broken. Yeah, you know, I I think they were like they put. They succeeded in spite of some of the things they probably could done could have done a lot better, right? And yeah. uh, so I just embraced where they were at, what they did, uh, did our best to uh, assess where the, the weak points were, and then we focused on building the strengths, and we continued to focus on capitalizing on uh, on the weaknesses uh, or on the strengths too, in terms of making what they did better much better. Right. Right. 
How do you build culture, Peter? You know, you, you kind of took over something that obviously had some some key characteristics that you wanted to keep, others that you needed to kind of discard and move along. But if you look back at those 20, 20 odd years that you were there, you know, how did you kind of propagate the, the culture of CIG during that time, personally, as well as through your team? Well, I, I, I'm a believer in uh, the uh, principle that if you capture their hearts, their minds will follow. Mm, I like that. And so uh, I employed that in a very, very uh, uh, effective and strong way. I mean, I, I was always, you know this, I mean, I was always out among the people. That's right. That's right. And it, it didn't matter whether it was internally in the company or whether it was out externally with our independent agents that represented our products. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think the key to my success, in my opinion, and building that culture was to uh, walk the talk. Yeah. yeah. And be in their face, get them to know me as a person, who I was, how I did it, what I expected. And there were never any questions about, well, I know how Pete would think about this, yeah, or yeah. I know what he would do in this case. Right. And so I just had to keep day in and day out reinforcing that. I had, a, I had myself on a very vig vigorous schedule of uh, meeting with employees. I called them team meetings, having team meetings right. in the company. Uh, every quarter I would have team meetings, both in our home office structure as well as in our field offices. Uh, got out there, and then when I was out in the field, that's when I also uh, met with our agents. So I, yeah. I, I met with yeah. our CIG employees in the field as well as our well as our agents, and I did that quarterly. Yeah. And so uh, you know, I I, I can't even uh, count the number of meetings <laughs> I had and dinners I had. I'm surprised I stayed as thin as I was. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've been to one of your Italian restaurants. I remember that we both enjoyed very much that night. So I, I, I wonder that as well. Yeah. Vito's. That's right. <laughs> Vito's down in Monterey. Yeah. What did, you know, you hired a lot of people during that period of time. Some came and, and some stayed with you along the way. And I think you kept a pretty solid executive team for, for many, many years there. Yep. What, what, what did you look for, for the people you were making bets in and, and hiring during those days? Well, you know, I, I think the key to, uh, assessing people and uh is really understanding what really makes them tick and mm. and when you know this i mean you've been through it so many times brand and you've been through so many assessments of people but uh it's so hard to get at what a person is really thinking and how they right. really are going to uh do in yeah. uh, in certain circumstances and because during those interview processes, they, you know, they're going to tell you whatever they think is going to get them the job. <laughs> yes, that's right. You know, yeah. so uh, I, I looked for those that were a lot more uh, candid, mm. uh, weren't uh, overly excited about making it to the next step, particularly when you're getting to the management level. Right. Uh, I was looking for people that wanted to get ahead, wanted to work hard, and but necessarily were not. Uh, what you would uh, term, and honestly, the best and the brightest. You know, there was mm. that there was that mantra: you yeah. hire the best and the brightest, and you're going to have the best organization you could er uh, ever imagine. But hiring the best and the brightest comes with its own problems. That's right. Yeah, because these people are all chomping at the bit, and <laughs> it's really about 
doing what they have to do to get ahead rather than doing what they had to do to make sure that the company was successful and making money. They had right. their they had their focus on their career and it wasn't really on the company. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I learned that, you know, in my early years, as I mentioned, you know, money was very important to me in my career. So I had that I had that. But once I got to a point where I had enough money in my mind, then I started really focusing on how I could really make a contribution to the organization, how I can make yeah. it better. And uh, I I think that's really the key. And uh, you're looking for trustworthiness, honesty, uh, people that have uh, good values. You know, we, we had a value system. Uh, part of right. our culture development at CIG was we had our company values. That's right. And uh, every employee, when they got hired, uh, had to uh, got a copy of it. And I reviewed them with them, a management level. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, to make sure they uh, understood what we expected. And they weren't, weren't uh complex they're very simple like accountability uh doing with do, uh, expecting from people what you would expect them for what they right. would expect from you right uh you know basic stuff you know human relations stuff what were some of the interview questions you used to really kind of get below the surface you know what was in what was the ways that you kind of got at that you know um <laughs> you know, the character part, right? And the other types of things that you really needed to know. Because as you said, it's so difficult to be able to, you know, really get out in a one hour, let alone a two two or three day interview who that person really was. Did you did you have any special ways in which you kind of uh, used in your interviewing? Well, you know, I had a you know list of questions I would ask, but I, I, I think the key uh, question that uh, comes to mind that I always, I always started out with, well, okay, tell me about yourself. Mm -hmm. Tell me, um, uh, don't spend a lot of time on your your history as much as what you did, why you did it, and how you did it. Right, right. And so <clears throat> when you start asking people about that, uh, you, you could really determine from that uh, what their enthusiasm level is, sure. what their sincerity is. Yeah. Uh, and basically that was my gauge at the end of the day. Mm, mm. And, you know, people say this, and I know some people believe in this, but along with all of the credentials, uh, in, uh, that people have, uh, you got to make sure that the person is one that's going to contribute, uh, in a collaborative way to the overall success of the organization. Yeah. 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 So true. Yeah. Well, Peter, we're just about out of time, but we always ask our CEO guests one last question, and that's, you know, what kind of career and life advice would you give to our listeners, you know, many of which are probably in their 30s or 40s, taking a look at maybe the corner office of their own company or maybe another one that they may be recruited to someday. And, you know, what 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 should they be keeping in mind in order to, you know, follow that same path and journey you have? Well, I would, uh, I would suggest that... Uh, Interpersonal skills and people relations relationships are paramount. Mm. So focus on those skill sets. Uh, show respect to people, yeah. uh, and uh, you'll earn. As I like to say, you earn what you get. Uh, so yeah. whatever you're showing, whatever you're delivering, it'll come back to you. Yeah, <clears throat> and I think uh, too. There was one other thought I had was um, I can't like it just skipped my mind. Yeah. Well, but, Peter, you're go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just <laughs> going to say, uh, you be yourself and, uh, 
ex expect a lot, but also uh, appreciate uh, what the level of capability you know, your team uh, has. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to add one additional one because I'll tell you, the, one of the lasting impressions I ever had with you when we were getting into our final candidate interviews, if you remember this, and we were in a hotel, I believe in Reno, Nevada, and oh, yeah, we had I a num number of candidates that came through. And, and I'll never forget your humility, Peter. And uh, you would ask me how you were doing in the interview process. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wait a minute, here's a guy, <laughs> the CEO running a $400 million business. I'm just this lowly recruiter. And, you know, you were so respectful and, and so interested. It was not a, you know, a, a disingenuous question at all. You really wanted to hear from me, you know, how you could improve your interview skills and, you know, what that was all about. And, and you know, it was a lasting impression of the kind of CEOs I love to work with and those folks that are willing to learn, always have an open mind and, uh, you know, want the feedback in order to continue to improve. And, uh, you know, to me, that's uh, one of the things I've always looked for, not only in clients, but in other folks that I've tried to place in senior positions in a number of our different, uh, you know, assignments over the years. That, mm -hmm. that humility is, is key. And, and thank you for that. Thank you for teaching me how important that lesson is. Well, thank you very much. And I really appreciate your support over the years, Brent. Well, Peter Cazola, founder and CEO of PMC Advisors and retired chairman, CEO and president of Capital Insurance Group, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you. I wish the best to everyone. <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.go4roi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.